Welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, your favorite podcast about food, music, and computers. I am your host, MRB, and here with you, as always, is my lovely co-host, AQ, Aaron Quint. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing fantastic. You're doing lovely, and you were uh, you were brought into this podcast by The Temptations and Papa Was a Rolling Stone, which is a song that I'm choosing today because... My wife today came home with the um, from the thrift store with a copy of the album All Directions, and we listened to it, and the song is on it, and it's really good. It was a mega hit for Norman Whitfield. If you look at the cover of the All Directions LP, uh, and the name of the producer is big, kind of on the on the front in the center, on the bottom, it says produced by Norman Whitfield, and then all of the musicians are credited, but none of the actual like members of the Temptations band are named on the album. <laughs> and so it's essentially a Norman Whitfield album, and I love the Norman Whitfield stuff. Todd Cavallo actually is a big Norman Whitfield fan. He loves the Undisputed Truth albums and all of the Temptations Norman Whitfield stuff, so he's always like that. So, Toddy, if you're listening and you don't have All Directions by the Temptations, you should cop that. We, you know, we, we've been a little out, out of the loop. We're working on a lot of projects at the same time, working on the pizza book. We launched our Beats Ryan Types uh, tips, uh, which by the time this is published, there should be several tips for you to improve <laughs> improve your life. Pro tips. Pro tips. And so the in the intervening time since our last podcast, Aaron has been kind of professionally engaged and has been thinking about this and writing about the subject of uh, technical debt, which is actually... Uh, which is a subject that's important to my work too. Uh, it's something that I've I've thought a lot about and written a lot about and talked a lot about. But for our general audience, what is what is a technical debt? It's a some kind of me- <laughs> some kind of metaphor. But aside from telling us what aspect of that interests you and and kind of going from there, well, why don't you describe the kind of general phenomenon of of what, what we of what we mean when we say that? Yeah. So technical debt is something that comes up a lot in the development of web software specifically, but it's not web particular or anything like that. And I, I would probably argue that it's not even like software particular. I would say there's probably similar styles of debt accumulation in other industries as well. But the general idea is that over time, when you're working on a long running project, you often uh, sacrifice quality or other attributes of the work that you're doing the code that you're writing to get something done in the in the interim or fix something or ship something whatever it is and those uh sacrifices that you make you kind of the metaphor is that you're taking credit out of the bank by you know shipping something fast and doing something kind of the hacky or fast way fastest way possible but in the end, eventually this debt accumulates and you come up with something that is unmanageable or difficult to read or difficult to improve or 
just all around does non-functional. And so this comes up a lot in the world of startups specifically, I think, and the web because there's this big pressure on, you know, shipping and pushing stuff to production. And since it is such an iterative world, we often sacrifice the long-term stability of something for the short-term gain since we think that it's more important that we're going to achieve something and get it out tomorrow than it is that a developer four years from now is going to be able to read and understand and improve the code that you just wrote. So yeah, so I think it's an interesting topic because it is uh, something that's widely talked about, but there's not like a lot of general thought about like kind of what the solution is, where it comes from, where, like what the actual sources are. There's a lot of fingers pointed and a lot of hype around a lot of uh, software projects and tools often kind of promote themselves under the guise that they'll they'll help improve this. I'm not talking about the software that you happen to work on. I'm more talking about like frameworks and stuff like that, that these new hot things are going to, because they're more maintainable, yada, 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 they're going to fix your technical debt and help that stuff. But in fact, I would argue that that's just not true. But I, I, I kind of, since you work in the field a lot and you're kind of in the business of uh, dealing with this, I want to, I kind of want to hear your take on kind of the source or, or like where you think a lot of, technical debt accumulation comes from well like you said you know some of it is some of it is conscious right like when you talk about technical debt you talk about the the work that you knowingly put off to do in the future because in the short term you'd rather get this other thing done right so there's that so when in that case it tends to accumulate around deadlines business deadlines personal deadlines like for example when requirements change in a project uh change is a source of like churn and churn and change uh create a scenario where you are more likely to trade off future maintainability for getting it to actually work because you're kind of in a tight spot because maybe you made some decisions that make doing this other thing a little more challenging and really to do it the right way would take a lot of time. So I think conventionally, the thought is that it's mostly caused by time, you know, like that time pressure is really the thing. I think we'd like to think given an unlimited amount of time, we would write very nice software, you know, and that it would be, you'd have enough time to really think through testing it and writing it and maintaining it. And, you know, maybe if you made a change in the future or you had to write some code to consume something in that code that you would like learn something and then maybe like fold that back into the other code like and and actually be able to do all that and some organizations are able to do that right and and some people and some classes of software are uh, more amenable to working that way and you can have more time to do work and you know uh things don't really change as much but like you said for whatever reason this attitude is does a company these small to medium-sized internet companies that we call startups that don't have much in common besides that. So in companies that move fast and want to like, you know, are prescribed to this kind of modern philosophy of how to operate a business, you know, it's a type of like waste that's accumulated, right? It, it's kind of like part of that cost of doing business that's associated with 
most departments and most companies, you know, you have to try stuff before you get it right. And sometimes you don't do it right. But because it's software and it's so malleable, it's very uh, susceptible to these kinds of problems. So that's what I end up talking to companies about. It turns out that like most things that are the product of bad habits of humans, uh, it's not that hard to like be a little bit better every day at a thing if you're committed to it. And if you have good ways of enforcing good habits, it actually works. And people over time make their stuff better. If you tell them every day, hey, you made it worse, you made it worse, you made it worse, or you kept it the same, you made it better, this makes it better. Here's how to take it from you made it worse to you didn't change anything or from you didn't you made it worse to you made it better or whatever. That actually works, right? People won't just like start doing the right thing because you asked them nicely to, right? Like they need something to act on that tells them what they're doing and then kind of like as close as possible to like an easy way to fix it. So that's how I that's how I talk about it. I mostly talk to the people about it as it's about how the humans are interacting with the machines, right? It's really about you and your practices. And if this is something you want to eradicate, it's going to take work. And it's hard. It's actually really hard to write main, maintainable, well-documented software. It takes a long it takes a long time. I kind of want to go back. I kind of know my personal answer to this question, but I'm curious if you really... I'm, I'm asking this question in a very leading way, but do you actually believe that there is software out there and teams out there that actually can write in a, like, a debt-free way? Um, I think that no, I mean, I, I because you're what you're saying is like that's kind of like in that ideal situation that you were describing where we have like unlimited time. Like maybe there are maybe there are companies that have unlimited or more time than the average, you know, internet internet well, small right, team. Right. But like it feels like that myth or like that thing we're putting on a pedestal to try to chase after, but it's like kind of a a leading thought that kind of belies the actual work that we do i mean i don't think that the goal is none is the is none right so that's one no i don't i don't think there's such a thing as debt free you're always going to have the capacity to create code that relies on some group norms that you've created over time and no matter how good your stuff is someone coming in from the outside might have a hard time understanding it and it might take you explaining it to them but I don't think none is the goal. I, I do think that there are very highly functioning teams uh, that can write soft, good software quickly in a constrained environment uh, and that there are lessons that we can learn from how they do things. Yeah, uh, I, I think that there's a really broad range of effectiveness uh, and discipline in software teams and the high end of it doesn't look like people who just are like scratching their chins for like a month and like working on algorithms on whiteboards and stuff, right? It looks a lot like what we do, but kind of more efficient and people work together for a long time or they work for a company that has these kind of ingrained practices that uh, you bristle at from the outside when you're not a participant of. But uh, apparently once you plug into that, you see that like, okay, this is, I can't, no one can do this forever, but 
while you're working for this big co. Like if you just, everyone writes code this way and everything works, right? And this comp- these companies are known for cutting edge software where everything works. And even though stuff is done in a dumb way, maybe it works, right? And, and they're able to write amazingly fast, distributed, reliable software. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with discipline and tools and practices. So I think it's within access of most teams at least to like go from like doing nothing to doing the minimum of at least not making it worse every time you touch code, right? Well, there's there's a there, yeah, there's an interesting point you brought up there too where it's like there is some kind of objective ideal of good code or there we want to believe and especially, you know, your businesses kind of may, wanting us to believe that there's some there's some objective measure from the outside of like something that's well organized and well thought, maybe not well thought out, but well organized and within kind of the community norms of what uh, good software is for a specific language. But there's this other idea where a single company or a single organization or even a single team within an organization can set norms too for what what good software is there and what what it looks like over time and technical debt and this idea of this idea of unmaintainable software becomes often most apparent when you have people brought in from the outside when it's not when the norms are kind of disrupted in a way where you have to explain them to someone. I mean, it's definitely like one of those things where like everyone can speak the same language, but the second you have to break to talk to someone else, that's when a lot of these problems get revealed. There was a really good blog post that was circulating around recently. I think Dan Liu wrote it about adapting to norms and that whole idea, um, which we'll, which we'll link to. What I'm trying to get at is like maybe the part of the issue with technical debt with some of these teams is that they are so volatile as a as organizations a lot of time. Not only are goals changing, but, you know, teams are changing. Individuals are changing over time. Like the background stuff is changing, too. And that kind of shakeup makes things harder to maintain over time because passing down that knowledge and doing it in a uh, very efficient way is is actually really, really, really challenging, regardless of how good the code is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Peter Siebel, who works at Twitter, had a yeah an essay, and I think he gave a talk with the same thing about you know as companies grow, how many developers do you need to support those developers over time in order to make. Uh, maintain the efficiency of the engineering organization and it's like up to 10 it's like up to 10 you need none Uh, anyway the distribution is surprising i don't want to i don't want to describe because i'll probably fuck it up but the idea is that when it hits a certain peak like a thousand developers you suddenly need like 250 to support them right that like when there's a thousand you need one for every four you know and you didn't need one you needed one for every 50 when there was a hundred or something like that uh and it's really interesting and I think that that definitely a lot of this is impacted by organizational form and communication and 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 all that stuff. You know, I work on this problem on a small scale, right? Like we try to solve this on the, the small team scale. You know, it's company wide. The way that we describe this is how it is impactful to individuals and small teams, you know? 
Uh, and that's how I've always thought about it too. That that's the kind of the way, the way that the working developer uh, interacts with these ideas is kind of what interests me about uh, thinking about this problem, right? I mean, that there are probably organizational standards or different theories about how to control and disseminate information in like larger groups of people. But I think when it comes down to it, you have individuals sitting in front of computers using tools and there's probably ways to augment those tools to make it harder for people to write shitty software. My work has been coming at it from kind of a different way where it is instead of an individual developer, it's been looking at it from a team or organizational side. And that's been interesting too. I mean, kind of one of the conclusions that I wrote about that I came away with was that I think when you're on a team and you're like a, a developer, especially on a small to medium sized team, and you ha- you've you know you just landed on this team and maybe it's your first job or you're relatively new to this world, it's really easy to get really frustrated with the state of things in an organization and how bad things are or how like how much debt is just sitting there and how like hard it is to navigate whatever you have. But what I've come away with from working and talking to a lot of companies is just that everyone is kind of like in some varied state of that situation. I want to, I wanted to bring that up and I wanted to talk about it because I want people to know that not that it, it's like, Oh, let's set the bar lower and we don't have to work as hard, but it's more just like, I think people beat themselves and their teams up a lot for like, trying to have this extremely high standard for what they do, but feeling like they can never achieve it. And that leads to things like people doing like full, full stack rewrites and like giant stop the world things when they, when actually like everyone's kind of swimming in this stuff. And it's more about incremental changes like you were talking about and seeing things improve over time and thinking about that and measuring that and looking at that, that'll actually like make big impacts and help people out. And the other thing that I always tell people is just like 90% of this stuff is like you said it's about time but I think it's also just about you know people and about communication and about all that soft stuff that that we don't talk about for me like when you say when you say it's about time what you're really saying is about that no one's given enough time which means that someone told them that they didn't have time kind of thing which is you know a function of the product it's a function of the goals that you've set out to do what ends up happening which is kind of the area that i've been working at the most what happens when a company kind of hits this wall of technical debt where they're like there is like this looming giant in the room with them that is staring them down and is like making it difficult to operate a ton of things and then they have to somehow as a technical team convince the non-technical people in their organization that this is something that needs to be addressed. And I think that that's like a really hard challenge that I don't have like a perfect answer to, but I think talking about things incrementally and thinking about things as like a long-term project, like, like you said, paying it off over time or like day by day, getting these reminders and moving forward as opposed to like, I don't know what a good metaphor is, shoot the elephant in the room and walk away, whatever it is. Like that stuff never really works out. It's, it's really, it's really hard to communicate why this is important to people who aren't necessarily working in it every day, but it ends up being a very fundamental skill that I think a lot of developers have to learn over time. Not just how to handle it, but how to talk about it, how to communicate that 
there are problems that are bigger than the single thing that they're working on in the moment, you know, that are looming or that are important long term. I think we're mostly saying the same things. I mean, I think even with the best intentions, we're talking about business. So even if everyone's on the same page, it's a good idea. When when time is limited, everything you do means you're not doing something else, right? That's what they say. So it's hard to maintain that quality or that culture of quality in the face of potentially big opportunities that are time limited. Software is malleable. Most of us don't write software that kills people when it makes mistakes. And it's and it's and it's okay for our software to have errors sometimes or it's important for certain software to be reliable and it's not important for other software. So, <laughs> it's interesting. It's all a matter of what you're trying to do with the program, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Word. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This was the first episode of 2016, and there are many, many more to come. We're really excited about what we're trying to do this year. We have a lot of things planned. Uh, Mike and I had like a kickoff, Beats Ride Types kickoff meeting this week, and it, it got us both really stoked for all the all the things we have going on. So we got some tips on the site. You can subscribe to uh, an RSS feed over there and always subscribe to us on Twitter at twitter.com slash beats ride types. Tell your moms to like us on facebook.com slash beats ride types. Um, if you want to fund our uh, expensive pour over coffee habit, you can uh, hit us up at patreon.com slash beats ride types. When this podcast is out, you will now be able to pre-order the pizza book at pizza.beatsrytypes.com, which is really exciting. So we launched the Kickstarter. We raised $50,000, which we're really, really proud of. And we're super excited to to have a $50,000 pizza party. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're like, uh, we're talking to printers. We're talking to editors. We're working with Steve, the designer. We are on our way. And so if you didn't cop a a book during the Kickstarter campaign. You can pre-order one at pizza.beatsridetypes.com or a t-shirt or a ebook, whatever you want. And we're, we're really excited to start to share more details about it. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll see you soon. Peace. It was the 3rd of September. That day I'll always remember. Yes, I will. Cause the day that my daddy died. But bad things about him Mama, I'm depending on you Tell me the truth Mama just hung her head and said, son 